This week on Life and Faith. Kim Kardashian, she loves publicity. She loves celebrity. She loves all of this. She does the Kardashians. This is her life. This is her thing. Yeah, but there's also an element of a woman saying to her ex, please leave me alone. Why don't you have any Asian friends or black friends or poor friends or friends from the other side of the river in the Western suburbs? My parents never had to worry about catching me out in anything because if I did something wrong, the clock was ticking and I would confess all. Welcome to Life and Faith from the set of Public Christianity. I'm Simon Smart. I'm Justine Toe. And I'm Natasha Moore. And this week is Seen and Heard. Now, the third. <laughs> the third, yeah, sorry, I forgot that bit. This is what we call it when the three of us sit down for a bit of a, you know, debrief on what we've been reading, watching, listening to. Yeah, we're not in the office so much these days as we are used to being, but when we are, these are the kinds of conversations that we're often having. Have you read this book? I have, are you watching this? I love this. I love this. Why haven't you watched that yet? Yeah, and we kind of want to loop everybody into that conversation. So in today's episode, we have Justine's pick for film of the year. She yep. called this back in April. Sure, That's early. Yeah. Yes. She loved this movie. <laughs> Simon has been reading Jonathan Franzen. And I have experienced a breakthrough in my traditional prejudice against audiobooks. Yeah, I'm very excited to hear about all of the above. <laughs> and I just want to say congratulations, guys, because with everything going on in the year that is 2022, <laughs> we've managed to somehow still be reading, still be watching TV. Maybe we need an escape from the hideous year. <laughs> Yeah. Or is that just me? Till June to <laughs> talk about things we've read. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not just you, Justine. Uh, but we have, we've got a lot to cover today. Family, faith, race, the multiverse. Mm-hmm. I think that's you, Justine. <laughs> uh, and a content warning up front. Seem to have a few of these lately. But uh, we do discuss an instance of domestic violence. So that's something to be aware of before we you know, dive in here. Now, we're going to come to Crossroads, the Franzen novel I've been reading, and to Everything Everywhere All at Once. That's Justine's film pick. Also, evidently, a good description of her year so far. (laughs) But, Natasha, we're going to start with you. What have you got for us? Okay, so I, earlier this year, listened to Trevor Noah's memoir. It's called Born a Crime, Stories from a South African Childhood. Mm -hmm. And to be honest, I was a little skeptical. Um, This was a book club pick. One of the girls who actually has never picked a book before. She's always been like, yeah, cool, whatever. And she was like, this one, I want to read this one. And so we were like, okay, your turn, let's do it. But, you know, there was a part of me that was like, oh, I don't really read celebrity memoirs, you know, ah. <laughs> not really into that. Could be a new thing then. But I read it. Well, I listened to it and I repent of my snobbishness Ooh, <laughs> because okay. it was amazing. I loved it. Okay. Loved well, tell it. us what it's about. So Trevor Noah, who a lot of people will know is... Talk a, show host. Yeah, talk yeah. show host, um, comedian from South Africa, you know, works in America these days. It's all about his childhood in South Africa under apartheid. His mom is black. His dad was a Swiss, like a white man. It was illegal for them to be in a relationship at the time. So he was born, you know, somewhere in the middle in terms of his skin colour and he could not legally exist. So the title, Born a Crime. Um, Like I kind of thought I knew a few things about apartheid, but listening to this book, I was like, Mm, oh my goodness, I really had no idea what Mm. this was like on the ground. And in some ways it's a very upbeat, 
hilarious, um, beautiful, energetic story, partly because his mum is this like total <laughs> free spirit, like badass woman. So she just disobeys all the rules. So there are areas she's allowed to live in as a black woman and areas she is not. And she's like, screw that. This is near my work. I'm going to get a secret apartment there. Oh. That's It's illegal for me to live there. Um, he and his mother legally can't live in the same neighborhood because they're different colors. And so she's like hiding him when they go to stay with um, her parents in Soweto, um, in one of the black areas. He has to like hide inside because he's legally not allowed to be there. In a way, he's so well positioned to tell this story because Mm. he kind of moves among all the different communities, but sort of belongs to none of them Mm. and is an exception to all of them. So he has to learn to navigate that, all the different languages and people groups and the politics of that. Like it's, but it sounds like it hasn't soured him, do you know what I mean, or made yeah. him really kind of bitter. Yeah, well, and because some of the things he describes are really terrible, obviously, and the racism and the discrimination that he faces kind of on all sides <laughs> from yeah. all the different groups. But he has such a deep understanding for where each group is coming from and what their fears are and what bonds them as a community and what's beautiful about their community and... He also just is one of those people that crazy things happen to. (laughs) So all the stories are just so interesting. And his mum's joy and zest for life um, really comes through and really is transmitted. So what's the thing, what's your beef with audiobooks? I mean, not that I have indulged myself, Mm, but like, mm. you know, someone talking to you, it's kind of nice. Yeah, because people have tried to persuade me on the audiobook thing before. I think it's because my attention span is not great. And so I kind of drift off. But if you do that when you're reading, the book kind of waits for you. Mm. Like, oh, diff- I think it's different. <laughs> Whereas the audiobook keeps going and I'm like, yeah. oh, Depends I a lot a on the voice too, I, I believe. Yeah. So this one works so well because, I mean, he's a performer mm. and he's so entertaining and he does like all the accents Um, You can tell, like, the different South African communities, like, the subtleties between the different accents. And he speaks a whole bunch of the languages. He Mm. has, like, the names and parts in the different languages. And, you know, there are these prayer meetings that he describes going to as a child where he does the prayers and sings bits of the songs and stuff. So it's just like, if you're going to get this book, I would highly recommend the audio book of, at least on this one. I did not tune out. At, At all. all. <laughs> well, you mentioned he doing the prayers and so on and meetings like that. His mum's faith plays a big role in this story, doesn't it? Yeah, I thought it was so fascinating. I mean, it. You know, I don't want to make um, assumptions, but it seems as though Noah doesn't share his mother's faith. But the way that he describes it, you know, it's such a huge feature of his childhood. He they go to three different churches on a Sunday. They go to black church and mixed church and white church. And so he kind of has a real sense of those how different those mm. um, subcultures are. They're always at these prayer meetings during the week. Um, and he's kind of this like smart aleck kid having these theological arguments with his mum. Like there's this week where the, their car breaks down because they're driving, you know, hours around the city to go to these three marathon. churches every Sunday. And the car breaks down. And he He's like, Jesus doesn't want us to go to church. Like, he wants us to stay home. And she's like, no, we're getting the bus. And, you know, then they have this whole experience where, you know, someone tries to kidnap them and they have to, she oh. throws him out of the moving car. Anyway. Uh, um, throws the <laughs> assailant. Throws the kid oh, out of the moving safe. car. And she jumps out with the baby 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh wow. You should, okay. Seriously, so many stories in this book. <laughs> but, um, yeah, like you really can tell how much he respects his mum for her strength of character and also for her faith. There's a, you know, his kind of the content warning about the story I'm about to tell you, uh, which is quite grim because um, throughout the book he kind of mentions that his mother later um, marries his stepfather and that that was an abusive relationship and she does leave him, but that later he shot her um, and he mentions that he had shot her in the head and I assume throughout the book that she had been killed. Mm. But you get to the final chapter of the book and it's a very kind of serious turn because, you know, this terrible thing happens. He comes and attacks her and her family. And Trevor Noah gets this call that his mum's been shot in the head and he assumes that she's not going to make it. But it turns out to be this miraculous thing where it kind of, the bullet missed her spinal cord, missed her brain, missed her eye, mm. kind of came out through her nostril. Oh my. And she was had a week in hospital and was fine. Gosh. And he kind of has all these reflections in the final chapter, which I just found so moving. He was like, if Jesus has a fan club, my mom is in like the top hundred. <laughs> like she, all she does is pray, like, how could this happen to her? But also this is a straight up miracle that she survived this. And so that tension of like, he doesn't necessarily believe, but also he cannot explain this. Mm. Yeah. Well, you mentioned the experience that his mum had. This kind of weirdly channels into this issue earlier this year, right, between Trevor Noah and Kanye. Trevor Noah was in the news earlier this year. There was a kind of... um, Ruckus, where he had done this monologue on The Daily Show about how Kanye was publicly harassing his ex, Kim Kardashian, and let's call that out for what it is. I know everyone thinks it's a big marketing stunt. Oh, look at the coincidence. Kim is launching a new show. Two things can be true. Kim likes publicity. Kim is also being harassed. Those things can be happening at the same time. Because I'll be honest with you, what I see from this situation, I see a woman who wants to live her life without being harassed by an ex-boyfriend or an ex-husband or an ex-anything. You may not feel sorry for Kim, you know, because she's rich and famous, because of the way she dresses, because she appropriates black culture, because she tells women they're lazy, because she broke the internet and then didn't put it back together, whatever, you hate her, whatever. But what she's going through is terrifying to watch and it shines a spotlight on what so many women go through when they choose to leave. You know, people always say that phrase to women, they go like, why didn't you leave? Oh, why didn't you leave? Why didn't you leave? Because a lot of women realize when they do leave, the guy will get even crazier. The point is that Kim Kardashian and countless other women, they find themselves in a terrible position because asking Kanye to stop clearly isn't helping. She's being harassed. One of the most powerful, one of the richest women in the world, unable to get her ex to stop texting her, to stop chasing after her, to stop harassing her. Just think about that for a moment. Think about how powerful Kim Kardashian is and she can't get that to happen. If Kim cannot escape this, Kim Kardashian, if she cannot escape this, then what chance do normal women have? So Noah actually goes on to talk about his mum in this clip and her experience of leaving, but that not being enough. And having just read, listened to the book, I can kind of really see how her experiences, as well as his own experiences growing up of violence and of racism and all these things have been so formative for him. And it's really cool to see someone using the platform like the one that Noah has to stand up and talk about issues like this. 
This is Seen and Heard. Natasha's been telling us about Trevor Noah's 2016 memoir, Born a Crime. Next up, everything, everywhere, all at once. This is Wang. This is Wang. Mrs. Wang, are you with us? I am paying attention. What's happening? I'm not your husband. I'm another version of one from another universe. I'm here because we need your help. Very busy today. Uh, no time to help you. There's a great evil spreading throughout the many verses. And you may be your only chance of stopping it. Don't make me fight you. I am really good. I don't believe you. Every rejection. Every disappointment has led you here to this moment. Don't let anything distract you from it. I don't know if you heard it, but that first voice, that's Jamie Lee Curtis in the craziest role, I promise, she has ever been in. She's good in everything. Oh, she's good in everything. But <laughs> wow, you know, you never, you, you think of all the possibilities just by this film and, you know, she was underdeveloped in my opinion <laughs> previously. Anyway, so in that trailer, she's talking to Evelyn Wang, who's played by Michelle Yeoh. Evelyn is a Chinese immigrant who owns a not very successful laundromat in the US. Her husband, Waymond, that is how you say his name, by the way, he's about to divorce her, that she's getting audited by the tax office. Her very traditional dad is about to visit. And it turns out that her daughter is gay and she's not sure how that's going to go down well with her dad. So, you know, Evelyn's just not having the greatest day or life, really. (laughs) And then from that point, a guy who looks like Waymond but actually claims to be another Wayman from another universe in the multiverse. He turns up and he says, Evelyn, a great threat is facing the entirety of existence and it's up to you to save the day and the multiverse. (laughs) And then there's fight scenes. (laughs) Justine, I feel like this movie really spoke to you. It so spoke to me, everyone. Why is that? Well, it is because it is literally everything, everywhere, all at once. I think there's at least four or five levels that I think this film is operating on, Mm -hmm. which I'm like so amazed that the brains behind all of it made it all happen, but also managed to like have a real emotional gut punch as well in the midst of all of that. So it's not just kind of like speculation about existence and does any of this mean anything. Or cool fight scenes. And that's or it. cool fight <laughs> scenes, exactly. But it's also really um, like delving into questions that I think that we're all of us really asking in some ways. Like I walked out of the film saying, I've just watched a film, among other things, which is a critique about living life online. Like if you think about it, I don't know about you guys, but my internet browsers have between 80, sometimes more browsers, oh. uh, like tabs open, and that's on each device. God, right? I'm not the only one. Al is like, this is why your computer is so slow. <laughs> Our producer is like, oh, I need to talk to you about this. <laughs> but this is just what it's like. You find something there, like, okay, I'm going to bookmark that, but I don't mm-hmm. bookmark it, I just have another tab open. Mm-hmm. So if you're living in that sort of ecosystem where you everything is vying for your attention and you can't get to any of it, how can your attention and your consciousness not get splintered, not get fractured? So I think, and that's a real thing that comes out of the film. And I also think that the multiverse becomes this metaphor for what it means to live 
in light of all the other people you see on social media who are outliving the life you could have lived if you had chosen a different path. Mm. So I've met several people in real life who I'm like, in another life, that would have been my job or I would have done that. So, you know, I think that if you're always constantly haunted by other versions of the self you could have been, there's a sense that you might feel like a bit of a failure. And yet in the, the trailer, you heard this line that everything, every rejection, every disappointment has led you to this place. So don't mm. dismiss mm. it in a way. And I'm like, ah. Oh. So for those of us who feel like, I guess, interesting failures, hopefully, at, at <laughs> some part of their life, there's a real sense that it's okay because things it's are re- recoverable. Yeah, yeah. And like another, just another way to signal why, how this film is doing something very interesting is that the character of Waymond is played by this actor called Ki Hee Kwan, who back in the 80s was short round in Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. And he also mm. goes is on... Is that to- his name? In- <laughs> short round. Oh yeah, it's very racist. You can't do this nowadays. But then he also plays Data in The Goonies. So oh, he's yeah, this yeah, really yeah. cute mm. little 80s kid, but his career goes nowhere because there's no roles for Asian actors. So it's like in this movie, I've seen so many Asian actors who I've only ever seen in the role of villain or laundromat owner, really, in some Mm -hmm. ways, but they get these meaty opportunities Mm. to play different aspects of like, it's like they get the career they never got the chance to have, just like Jamie Lee Curtis has got this really crazy role that, you know, we've never seen her do that in A Fish Called Wanda or whatever. So... There are those aspects of the film that I really love. And plus, it's a commentary around filmmaking as well. Like, there is different parts where the way that different scenes are shot is like a nod to other famous filmmakers. And, Mm. like, I didn't pick up all the references, but the ones that I did pick up, it was really meaningful because it just operates on so many different levels. And I just love it. And that's even before we get to all the (laughs) philosophical speculation that I also really love. Before we get to that, you came into the office after seeing this, probably Monday morning, and confidently declared this to be the best film of the year. Back <laughs> I'm, that I'm, up. Not, and is I'm it, not known for exaggeration. No, and, <laughs> and Justin, is it a bit, um, you know, best film, most pop, not going to be the most popular? Like, how do you feel? It won't Where be the most popular. Yeah, look, yeah. it is a little bit niche. And look, mm. to be honest, because I'm a parent, whatever, and the kids are young, babysitting, blah, blah, blah. Any film's good. Any film's good. I'll probably the see five film films this year. Is. That's right. <laughs> and it's One not the mine. movie show. No, no, no. But it's, I, th- I swear it is about expectations because I didn't really know what to expect. And then I get in there and it's like the Matrix. That's where the fight scenes and the, the burden of trying to save the all of existence comes in. <laughs> and then you've got Tree of Life, Terrence Malick's kind of very, I mean, look, that would split people. I get it. Mm. But in terms of <laughs> thinking about life, death, the universe, meaning, all that sort of stuff, you get all that coming into this as well. And um, there's this incredible scene, and you would never think it would be incredible if I describe it to you. In another mul- part of the multiverse, there's a universe where there's only rocks. There's like a barren wasteland full of rocks. <laughs> then you've got the character of the daughter, Evelyn's daughter, um, as one rock, and then another rock that's meant to represent Evelyn. And they have a subtitled conversation because rocks don't have mouths, right? Or conscious, <laughs> conscious. Well, why don't they in this universe? I don't know. <laughs> But then they're talking about the fact that life is really bleak and meaningless. And yet the idea of the film seems to be that if they have each other, they're actually okay. Hmm. So I loved that. And I thought it was a really vivid answer to, I think, what all of us have felt at times in our lives where does any of this make any sense? What's the point of any of it? Yeah, so you seem to have got quite a lot of encouragement from that where people have had disappointments ways in which their life didn't take the path they might have hoped for, and yet they're trying to find and are finding meaning in the more mundane. 
Yeah, that's right. And I think for me, I mean, I don't know whether I'm always doing this because I'm a Christian, but I'm always looking for how even the longings that we feel in our ordinary yeah. frame of life kind of do point beyond themselves. So when I found that um, one of the filmmakers, because these are two guys who have Daniel in their name, so they're called the Daniels. How <laughs> cute is that, right? <laughs> one of the Daniels um, actually used to be a Christian, I heard. And it's so strange because I think God is a real absent presence in this film in so many ways, right? So there's all this kind of conversation around how if your life is a disappointment or if you're a bit of a mess, as long as you've got someone there who is rooting for you and who is going to be, in a way, your rock, right? Yeah, you know, going yeah. back to the barren wasteland, then there's something there that means that you're going to be okay. It's going to be fine. So, yeah, I would say that God is there, but kind of haunting in the, mm, in the details. Yeah, because at one, another point, Waymond is talking about the power of kindness and how kindness seems the last resort for pushovers for, for the losers of life. <laughs> but he makes a real claim for its power and its strength. And I was watching that, was like so moved by it. So you're getting these moments in a film that is kind of crazy as well, but there's just something really beautiful about it. And especially as it's, you know, given by this actor who didn't have the career that maybe he wanted to have, and yet he still managed to flourish in this sort of um, film. I just loved it so much. So, Simon, you've been reading Jonathan Franzen. From what I'm aware, he's an American author. He's kind of a character, if that's putting it euphemistically, maybe. Um, he wrote Freedom, and now he's written Crossroads. Yeah, so he's a novelist, essayist. He is a bit polarizing, isn't he, Natasha? <laughs> yeah, well, um, I had some idea in my head. I've never read Jonathan Franzen, but I was mm. a bit like, oh, I had a sense that people speak of him in a particular tone of like, <laughs> oh, you're reading Jonathan Franzen. Like it's a kind of snobby mm. white male thing. Well, yeah. But then so, everybody has been loving Crossroads and going on about it. I was like, oh, okay, so Jonathan Franzen's cool again. What's the what's what's <laughs> going on here? Up. Yeah, I hadn't read the other fans and novels either. And I knew the reputation. So I wasn't sure if I liked this at all, but mm. I was given it for Christmas Pleasantly or something. Surprised. And off I went. Oh, I loved it. Yeah, it's a great book. What's it about? Really, it's portraits of a family. Um, and you're getting their different perspectives as they reach essentially personal and collective crises in their lives as a family. Uh, it's set, interestingly for me, uh, in a youth group church youth group in the 1970s in Illinois. Oh, boy. And, um, yeah, immediately you're like, oh, no, what's this going to be like? <laughs> Sounds traumatic. But, but it wasn't. It was really fa- – I mean, it was very clear. As soon okay. as I started reading this and the depiction of the church and the community and this sort of youth group, I thought there's no way he hasn't experienced this. He has to have lived that out. And it turns out my suspicion was correct. Even though my parents themselves were not believers, this was just part of being a civilized person in the Midwest. And in my case, it was not such an unpleasant experience that I had to reject it. I just quietly internalized it. That's Jonathan Franzen speaking to ABC Radio National. Um, This group, it's worth mentioning, is part of a mainline Protestant denomination. It's much more focused on works of justice and community and self-knowledge. There's this whole, you do really well in this group if you're brutally honest about yourself and and your failings. And it's more of that than real connection to God and the Bible, as it turns out. He describes it as a very Californian kind of 
you know, 70s youth group, um, <laughs> despite the setting. So I, I think that's that's true. But the dad, he's an associate pastor at the church, and he is <laughs> a hapless character, let's put it that way. And he's terribly jealous of the younger, more charismatic leader who's sort of taken over the youth group. And he's essentially been kicked out because he's not cool enough and they all reject him. So, Including his kids? Well, his the kids, kids have this sort of difficult relationship with the group because of that. Hmm. So yes, depending on which one they are. So it's very funny. There's There's the kind of teenage awkwardness and earnestness, as you can imagine, in a group like this. I can remember. And the (laughs) (laughs) self-conscious performance of of that, as well as all the hormones and and so on. But truly, this story, it's mostly about a family um, and their struggles more than it is about the the group. Would this have surprised you? I know you said that you hadn't read him before, but... I wonder if, I mean, I don't know if you're jaded the way I am, but when you see something like that, are you like pleasantly surprised and do you almost feel as though, oh, I was oh, yeah. too hard on people before thinking, oh, everyone's, you know, like well, anti this or I anti I think you that. have to search quite hard in literature and film for positive portraits of people of faith. And this is not by any means glowing, but still. This is not John Ames and Gilead. No, it's not. <laughs> definitely not. But... Uh, if you think of this family, you have this sort of, it's brilliant, right? You have this super popular daughter who has this true conversion to Christian faith. You have a drug-dealing genius son who's terribly problematic to the whole family. You have a wife who's very damaging youth that's catching up with her. And an older son who's tortured by his draft status regarding the Vietnam War. So they won't give it away, but you know his dad's a pacifist and... Here we have this situation. Right, it's set right in the Vietnam mm. War. So there's there's a lot here to work with. But don't uh, you reckon that if you kind of finish this sort of book and you come out thinking, oh, the people of faith here are richly portrayed, and it's not as it's not easy to just have your black and white assumptions about what people who happen to believe in God are like. Like maybe that's oh, that's good, right? Absolutely, it doesn't give you these cardboard cutouts. Yes, it's funny. You're sort of meant to laugh at the people. And you do. Uh, but but there's, there's a warmth to this too and a, and a respectfulness, I think, that means he depicts faith in a way that feels real. Actually, it's something about what it feels like to believe. I think mm. he's able to convey that actually, which I think is really an achievement. And so you get that in some of the characters, but not in any kind of neat way. It's very set in the messiness, real messiness of life. But nonetheless, there's something about this faith of some of the key characters that you sense something real and, I'd say, beautiful. I couldn't help noticing Ruth Graham, who's a journalist in the US, who tweeted something about this book. And she said that Crossroads contains some of the deepest, most complex depictions of what sincere Christian faith means in real people's lives that she's ever read. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think that was a, that was a good summary. It is impressive. Any novelist who can do that, compellingly. Lots of them can. The best ones can. I think Franzen's pulled it off. So yeah, it, it's you know, it's a big book, but it's easy read. And you end up really caring about the characters. And because of that, you just can't put it down. It's a really fun book. I recommend it. Are you going back to read all of Jonathan Franzen now? <laughs> Maybe I should. Although they do say this is quite different from the other ones. So whether I like it or not, but yeah, I should give it a go. So I mean, there's been some themes right across that like we don't coordinate our picks in terms of no but when you think about it today we've talked about family b 
big time in this, faith. Mm. And also I'd say in all three of these, people going through true difficulties, but sort of good things emerging from them. There's sort of gems appearing from really, you know, the rocks of, of Justine's story. <laughs> <laughs> Whether this is about, you know, the kinds of stories that we're drawn to or what's in the zeitgeist at the moment. Maybe a bit of both. This has been Life and Faith with me, Simon Smart, Justin Toe and Natasha Moore. Thanks for joining us for this third instalment of Seen and Heard. Today we discussed Trevor Noah's memoir, Born a Crime, the best movie of the year, Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, and Jonathan Franzen's latest novel, Crossroads. We're going to put links to these and other content from the episode in the show notes. Do share this episode with friends and family and colleagues and random strangers you think might enjoy it. (laughs) Leave us a rating or review. And remember, you can always send feedback to us at podcast at publicchristianity.org. We would love to hear from you. I also want to add that everything we do at CPX is funded by support from our donors. We really need this to do the work we do. And if you're enjoying Life and Faith or anything else we do, then as we approach the end of financial year, please consider supporting us with a one-off donation or regular monthly giving. Go to publicchristianity.org to donate. Next week. As you've got religion in decline, you get ideologies substituting for religion. You get fascism, you get communism. And what we fail to realize is that liberalism is also an ideology. It's not really neutral. Once the other ideologies have been killed off, you've got more and more the dominance of liberalism. And it's become more and more evident that it's an ideology.